0: welcome to another edition of the mma Lockcast. i'm your host man breed aka mma lock of the night and your boy on twitter at mma lotn this week we're going over ufc vegas 29 headlined by dan Ige and the korean zombie a great featherweight fight i really can't wait to see how this one plays out and in the co-main event slot we got Alexio olenek going up against sergey spivak a little bit of a questionable placement but when you look at the rest of the card it kind of makes a little bit of sense but there are definitely some fun fights on the undercard that I truly can't wait to break down for you guys. The one that I'm probably most excited for has got to be Kanako Murata versus Verna Jandiroba. We get two very solid grapplers going up against each other, one with a freestyle Olympic wrestling background and one with a black belt in BJJ, probably one of the better BJJ black belts that we have in the UFC and I truly can't wait for that fight to play out and see which fighter is able to impose their will even more. Again, a couple of other great fights on which way against Julian Rosa, one that I'm very much looking forward to, and even Matt Samuelsberger against Chaos Williams should be some fun for as long as that fight lasts. Uh, as we always do, let's start off with the uh, betting breakdown of the last card. Last card was UFC 263, and it ended up snapping a three-event winning streak for your boy, and... As you know, we don't hide from elves around here, so we're going to go out there and uh, talk about it and break it down for you guys real quick in terms of what went wrong. So first and foremost was the dog of the night play. We had Jake Collier, plus 175, one and a half units going up against Carlos Philippe, and it was going pretty well, I'd say. So it was one one going into that third round and then at the body language of Jake collier was really not in his favor carlos Felipe was the one kind of marching him down and stalking him for the majority of that round and really kind of making it tough for collier to get his game going now i do think that collier actually out-volumed him in that round but the the, the more impactful shots the again the body language truly was on the carlos philippe side which ultimately is why i think that he ended up getting his hand raised that night but you know, very close fight, split decision loss for Jake Collier. I'm happy with the value that I was able to accrue at a plus 175 for Jake Collier. But at the end of the day, we don't cash the ticket, and that's what matters to me the most is cashing that ticket. And unfortunately, it didn't happen that night. So minus 1.5 units on Carlos. Or sorry, on, on Jake Collier. Lock that I play shit's the bed uh jamal hill put a little bit too much confidence in that guy um you know i truly thought that he wanted to play on the ground as much as he did shout out to paul craig for snatching up that arm the way that he did that was a weird grip uh not often you see that type of grip and having that much of success with uh that type of grip but uh paul craig was really able to jack up that arm of jamal hill obviously ended up dislocating it and uh yeah gets the tap gets the technical submission victory it actually ended up i think being a tko which is weird as hell but um good win for paul craig that night that smashes our lock of the night play so minus five units there. that was actually parlayed with leon edwards who had some shaky moments at the last seconds of his fight with nate diaz but went out there and did exactly what he was supposed to do in hindsight probably the under one and a half in the jamal Hill fight was the way to go especially with the type of grudge match that they had uh but Again, hindsight, twenty twenty. we don't know these things until after the fight, right? So uh, crushing loss there, but it is what it is. It snaps the three-event winning streak. I think overall, now I'm 14 out of the last 17 events are, are wins, but I want to keep that trend moving and get back on another winning streak for you guys, and hopefully we can do that this weekend, starting off with UFC Vegas 29. Now, as you guys know, for the Patreon, link is in the description below, 5 bucks a month. I drop my bets on there as soon as I make the play. And then when I'm giving it out for free, which is when I'm on less than a three-event winning streak, I post my picks for free to the public, but they have to wait till Friday. So there might be some line movement, there might be some changes in the fight, but more often than not, uh, the public has to wait until Friday to see my picks. So today's Thursday, I will be dropping them tomorrow, Friday evening. So you'll have to wait till then to see what my Locker that Night Play and my dog that I Play is for this weekend. But hopefully it's... Uh, Hopefully it's, an, uh, it's a W this weekend on both fronts so that we can get a, another streak going for you guys. So there's the Patreon, a ton of great content on there, a great, lively, positive Discord community as well. So shout out to everybody that's on the Patreon over there, um, the best bets and props article. I go through every single fight to give you my best bet and best prop for each single one. I'm a very low volume better in terms of giving you guys the lock of the night play and dog of the night play in terms of my official bets. That's why I have the best bets and props article to give you guys my thorough thoughts on every single fight and then give you guys my best bet and best prop on that. Something else that I'm going to be adding, most of you guys know if you guys have been following my YouTube channel for a while now, I drop prize picks tips where I give you guys my three best prize pick spots for every single card. What I'm going to be doing moving forward starting with this week is uh, I'll keep doing my three uh, best prize picks tips and drop that on the youtube channel for free for everybody for the public but on the patreon i'm actually going to go through every single fight once again very very briefly maybe one or two sentences nothing crazy but at least give you guys my best spot for the prize picks for every single fight on the card that's their projected totals in terms of uh, fantasy points minutes significant strikes takedowns i'll give you what i think my best spot is for every single fight through an article on the Patreon. So, once again, make sure you guys check out the Patreon. Link is in the description below. Last thing I want to plug before we get into the breakdowns is Coolbet. Coolbet is a fantastic uh, w- a website. If you guys are looking for a new bookie, they have great odds. They allow you to parlay props. That's something that a lot of people try to take advantage of or look for in their bookies. Coolbet definitely allows you to do that. So, make sure you guys go check out Coolbet. And when you guys sign up, use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two. And uh, they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks trust me you're going to want to take full advantage of that because they have great odds great props and uh trust me you're going to want to take advantage of that last thing i'll say they have a six times rollover on your initial deposit most places are i think 10 times rollover so it is below industry standard uh but still uh definitely worth doing it because you're going to have your money in there for a while anyway so once again coolbat.com use promo code mmalotn2 trust me you're going to love it they have great analysis tools So much awesome stuff to love about Quobet. They're definitely ahead of the trend when it comes to these betting websites. All right, that's pretty much it on my end. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the breakdowns for UFC Vegas 29. And hopefully we're able to turn this analysis into some cash for you guys. So enjoy the breakdowns. Casey O'Neill versus Lara Procopio. We got minus 150 on Lara Procopio and plus 130 on the sophomore Casey O'Neill. Let's actually start off on the Lara Procopio side as I was very happy to cash her as a slight underdog against Molly McCann in her last fight as a lot of people were overlooking her or... In my opinion, a lot of people are just overrating Molly McCann and what she brought to the table. Procopio did make a decent account of herself in her first UFC fight against Carol Hosa, And even though she got out-volumed in that fight, she showed a lot of good things in terms of solid uh, striking technique, her ability to kind of continue to push the pressure no matter what's coming at her in the striking realm. Um, but I think what turned off her, turned her off from a lot of people was her inability to get Carol Hossa down, but a lot of people are overlooking the fact that Procopio only really started to go for those takedowns after she was already getting touched up and really damaged by Carol Hossa, so Can't really look too much into that. She was able to land several takedowns against Molly McCann, but she did seem to power and strength and muscle her takedowns more so than actually lean on technique, which leads me to believe that she might have some troubles here in terms of taking down the bigger and stronger uh, Casey O'Neill. Laura Procopio, black belt in jiu-jitsu, and I think she'll actually have the technical striking advantage here over Casey O'Neal, but from this levels of women's MMA, it might even just be the strength and the aggressiveness of Casey O'Neill that should allow her to notch a victory in this fight. I think that Procopio, if she does get on top of Casey O'Neill, she can make it very sticky for Casey. And I do think that Procopio will have good enough top control to make it tough for Casey to get back to her feet. But the purple belt of Casey O'Neill is definitely something that I think is improving on a fight-to-fight basis. The amount of time that she's spending over there at Extreme Couture will definitely be helping round out her game, especially considering that she was originally from Australia, I believe with Scottish background. But uh, uh, she fought over there and, you know, there wasn't that high level of competition for her truly to go through in that regional scene. I do believe she had one fight over there at UAE Warriors but it still pales into comparison in terms of what Procopio had to go through in terms of the regional scene and uh, what she had to deal with en route to the UFC compared to what O'Neill had to deal with en route to the UFC. Now the level of competition is obviously on Procopio's side but it's very hard to use that as an argument especially when an opponent is at the mercy of their promoter or wherever the fuck they're at. Um, and you know if they were able to take tougher fights they probably would have taken tougher tougher fights as the case is for casey o'neill here and now she's really trying to carve out a spot for herself in the ufc's uh flyweight division and start to add names to her belt right dobson say what you want about her as a fighter but that's a decent name to get under your record in terms of um you know somebody that's had experience inside the ufc that's been in the ufc for a while that was on the ultimate fighter so skill for skill casey o'neill absolutely beats her which is exactly what she did in that fight but she slowly started to add the names to her resume procopio could be next year and i think that's what's actually going to end up happening i think that casey does end up landing some takedowns here i think uh she'll have good enough top control should be able to land good shots from on top some good ground and pound on the feet again i think procopio is the more technical striker but i think the aggressiveness and the ferocity in which that casey o'neill approaches her fights that might be enough to kind of break the technical advantage that procopio has in those situations and again once this fight hits the ground i don't believe that procopio is this uh, you know she is a black belt don't get me wrong but i don't think Gets to the point where she's super threatening off of her back that is yet to be seen though especially going up here against the girl in casey o'neill who probably have a lot to you know, for her to handle, especially if O'Neal is able to land that top position and that top control, but I do still find myself on the underdog here in Casey O'Neal. Again, I think her aggressiveness and her uh, her strength will ultimately be the benefactor in terms of her winning this fight, but it's a very close fight, and if it's a close fight, if it's a toss-up, uh, a coin flip, which I believe it is, I ultimately am going to lean with the underdog here at plus 130 for Casey O'Neal shout out to anybody that was able to get this fight at the pick of mods that it was especially if you're on the Procopio side but I do think that O'Neal actually uh, wins here I think that she'll get the better positions she'll land the better shots on the feet and I do think that Procopio is durable enough to take it and just stay alive long enough in this fight to see the judges scorecards which is why I'll take Casey O'Neill to win this fight via decision joakim silva versus ricky glenn yes i said ricky glenn apparently that's how mr glenn wants to uh, be named now or at least be uh addressed by uh we got minus 130 for Joel Kim silva and plus 110 for ricky glenn now both guys are coming off of pretty significant layoffs right with Joel Kim silva you have roughly about a two-year layoff and then for uh ricky glenn you got closer to a three-year layoff but ricky glenn was actually scheduled to fight uh, carlton minus back in december uh and then there was some complications in terms of covid him and his coach tested a positive for covid they went back to their hometown i believe of des moines iowa and then his other coach who was supposed to meet them later on in the week also tested positive for covid so regardless there's no way that ricky glenn was going to be able to uh, perform that night then he takes roughly about six months off and i think that was more so him his inability to actually secure a fight uh, he had said in a recent interview with uh with uh james lynch that he was waiting for short notice opportunities and just waiting for an opportunity to jump in uh but nothing really transpired he just recently became a dad so we're going to start to get father uh ricky glenn going into the cage and i'm interested to see how that type of uh change in his mentality actually affects his game ricky glenn also uh going out there and uh again performing as an underdog here but is also coming off a hip surgery something that had kept him out of the cage for as long as it did Last time we saw him, he went out there and lost a decision to Kevin Aguilar in a fight where he was primarily the one moving forward, but Kevin Aguilar was the one landing the much better shots. obviously landing significant strikes that the uh, judges were seeing, and then it really busted up Ricky Glenn as well. Uh, Glenn did attempt to take the fight to the ground at times as he does seem to thrive in those situations where he's in the clinch and trying to drag fighters to the ground and just overwhelming them with that pace and pressure, Uh, but Kevin Aguilar did a really good job in in terms of keeping the fight vertical and then landing the better shots even when Ricky Glenn was pushing the pressure and the one with the front foot. Joaquim Silva he could be uh, a similar situation here with Kevin Aguilar where you have a much more vicious striker in Silva a guy that is fine with working off of his back foot and more often than that Ricky Glenn it seems that time he's a little bit wild with his strikes and doesn't have the craziest power behind his shots, and that's where I think that Silva is going to start to separate himself from Glenn in this fight. I think that we'll see Silva, even though he's not the more technical fighter here in terms of the striking, he does land vicious muay Thai uh, combinations. I believe he's a and a an value cow Thai guy as well, uh, which obviously helps him in terms of getting his striking off. Uh, BJJ black belt, as we always know, but I'm not so impressed in terms of what we've been seeing off of his back uh but he does have this viciousness about him just as we saw in the vince pichelle fight which is a fight that probably he could have won right uh even though it was a unanimous decision there was a very good case that he probably deserved to win that first round he lost the second round let's be honest about that but his strongest round was that third round he was coming on strong in that third round and it's funny to that that's the fact because even in a in a previous fight the the jared gordon fight uh coming on strong in that third round and there's been this narrative out there about Joaquim silva slowing down in third rounds i just don't understand that you know what i mean he won the third round in my opinion against Vince b- Finished as Jared Gordon in that third round i think he's starting to separate himself and and really distance himself from those uh those gassing uh narratives that are out there about him so if this fight is mainly going to take place on the feet which i think it will be and it could be what Ricky Glenn kind of pushing the port uh, pushing the the pace and moving forward i think that Silva is just going to be lighting him up even with him on his back foot uh he has great body work as well just as we saw in the Jared Gordon fight not just in the finishing sequences but throughout the fight he's landing great great body shots that really start to slow down his opponent Ricky Glenn you know he's going to be forced to come up a weight class now he was missed weight last time around against Kevin Aguilar so we don't know how much that's going to impact him in terms of coming up a weight class and in terms of the uh the, the strength discrepancy he might feel here we know that um, Kim Silva is going to be the shorter guy here but he looks hella strong and he seems like his takedown defense will be able to hold up for him here because if it does get dragged to the ground now that's where I think that Glenn will be able to wear on him but if Silva is able to keep the fight on the feet I think that's where Rick Glenn is really going to struggle in terms of staying competitive in the striking realm now he might be able to outpoint him and out throw him and out uh, and, and just out volume him but I don't think it's going to be to the point where that the referees or sorry the judges are going to overlook the impactful shots that Joel Silva silva will be landing throughout this fight i think that this is a great fight for silva as long as it stays vertical uh again i, I there's only a i believe the statistic on ricky glenn uh takedown accuracy is only 13 percent but he spams them a lot so if if silva is able to keep the fight to the uh, to the feet i believe he has a 63 percent ish takedown defense hopefully it comes through for him here against ricky glenn he's gonna start to light up glenn with leg kicks body shots and then obviously the big power that he's able to let go on the feet I like Silva here. I really do. I like him as a slight dog, or sorry, a slight favorite here. Minus 130 is a great line on him. I think that he has the bigger power. I think he has the more finishing upside. Uh, both guys have been rocked and hurt in past fights. All of Ricky Glenn's fights have gone to a decision, uh, but there have been very a lot of sticky moments for himself, as well as his opponents in the past. The most notable fight, obviously, is the Gavin Tucker fight, and that fight really, I think inadvertently raised the stock too much uh, for Ricky Glenn in a lot of people's eyes. And then he obviously faltered a couple times after that Gavin Tucker performance. But I don't think that this is going to be a Gavin Tucker situation. I think this is going to be uh, uh, Joakim Silva going out there and landing the bigger, better strikes. Maybe even landing a takedown or two of his own. I know he's not historically known to go out there and do that. But I think that could definitely help in terms of the judges scorecards and just kind of keeping Ricky Glenn on the, on the tip of his toes. Especially when Ricky Glenn is the one pushing uh, forward and, and kind of backing Joakim Silva up. But we've seen time and time again uh, Ricky Glenn go out there even being the guy pushing forward. He's the one getting touched up and lit up and the judges are ultimately giving it to him. We saw it in the Evan Dunham fight. We saw it in the Miles Jury fight. We saw it in the Kevin Aguilar fight and i think it's going to be hard to shake for ricky glenn in terms of completely changing it up he's a guy that's been around the game for a while now if you guys remember he used to train out of team alpha male no longer there he's gone back to his hometown of des moines iowa and just training with uh, his hometown crew over there and who knows what kind of impact that's going to have on him especially going into this fight against a very high level joe kim who only has two losses if i'm not mistaken one to vince Pichel, a fight he clearly could have won as well and then the uh the last fight out there where he went out there and, and got knocked out by Nazar Hakpras in a fight that he was very competitive in in that first round but Hakpras has some serious power I just I find it hard to believe that Ricky Glenn will be able to um, to replicate that type of power and knock out uh, Silva himself so I think it's actually going to be Silva I think it's Silva by knockout as well um, yeah I, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go Kim Silva probably by for uh, you know what i'll go second round knockout i think his power and pressure really starts to get to uh ricky glenn body shots and then start to mix it up to the head and i think it's really gonna uh mess up ricky glenn this is not a great fight for glenn to be coming back to after hip surgery and all the other that he's been through over the last three years and then even silva even though he's been out of the cage for a while now he goes out there and still uh has solid performances so unless he's completely fallen off a cliff I think that this is a great fight for Silva. So I'm going to go with Silva and I'll go with him to win this fight by second round KO josh parisian versus roki martinez we got minus 135 on josh parisian and plus 115 on roki martinez let's start off on the roki martinez side of things who's winless inside the ufc 0 2 in his last two fights but tough matchups uh stylistically speaking going up against alexander romanov in his first fight where he lost by arm triangle choke at the ending of the second round and then obviously going out there and getting out pointed by Dante Mason, in a fight that seemed like the momentum was starting to swing his way unfortunately he ran out of time and Dante Mays was able to outpoint him over the 15-minute period. Now, in this fight against Josh Parisian, it seems like a stylistically good matchup for him, right? Josh Parisian is not as mobile as Dante Mays. He's not as suffocating as Alexander Romanov with the grappling. And more often than not, Josh Parisian's path to victory is going out there and starching his opponents within a round or two. If he's not able to do that, more often than not, he starts to gas out and he allows his opponent to kind of pick up the activity and just outpoint him over you know rounds two and three, like we saw in his last fight against Parker Porter rookie martinez going back to him though he's fought pretty much all over the place right uh biggest names that he's fought Jake, kuhn uh crow cup both of those fights which he ended up losing he did actually beat daun Jung when daun Jung was back uh one and one so super early in his career but rookie martinez has fought several different types of styles of opponents and i feel like josh parisian is a style that he's seen in the past I'm not understanding as to why Josh Parisian was such a big uh, favorite in his fight against Parker Porter. Say what you want about Parker Porter, uh, but it goes to show that you can't really bank on a heavyweight like Josh Parisian, who shows a ton of deficiencies in his game and trust him at that minus 200, minus 250 line that he was at for that Parker Porter fight. Now, this fight against Rocky Martinez gives you a lot of pause in terms of backing Josh Parisian here, right? You got Rocky Martinez who's quite durable, like he's lost uh he had that cut against uh Miracle Krokop, which probably should have gone on right i think that there was some funny business going on there which is why uh Crocop was able to get the win that night but you don't see him uh, often getting finished by punches uh the the Romano one submission the Don mays fight decision um you see him you, you see his durability shine through And that's why he's able to get away with fighting at like the weight that he's at, considering the frame that he's at. He has a lot of weight that he could definitely lose if he went out and tried to do it. But uh, you know, his durability and his punching power allows him to be successful at heavyweight against decent competition or moderate competition. And I lump Josh Parisian into that moderate competition. I think that Parisian is a KO or a bus fighter, and he does have cardio issues, as we saw in his last fight against Parker Porter. And I truly think that it's something that Rocky Martinez could take absolute advantage of. Now, the only thing that scares me is is if Josh Parisian drags this fight to the ground and, uh, you know, Martinez is unable to find his way to back to his feet especially if Parisian is dropping down Donkey Kong bombs or something like that and he could probably get him out there with a with a quick TKO that way obviously Parisian is going to be the much bigger fighter in this situation so that is a bit of cause uh, that gives you a cause for concern if you are backing Rocky Martinez but I think if this fight gets out of the first round which I think it will uh, you're going to get a great live betting line on Rocky Martinez so I'll definitely hit him after that and then I do think that we'll see uh, the durability and the cardio and the pace of Rocky Martinez start to shine through. Like I said, this isn't Dontel me who's going to be able to stick and move and be athletic and get out of the way of your big shots. This isn't going to be Alexander Romanov where you're dealing with the onslaught of just relentless grappling and being the you know being the smaller guy and just you know not having uh, super uh, a huge amount of success in terms of stopping the grappling heavy take uh, uh, grapple heavy approach that's going to be coming from his opponent like Romanov. Prezin is like a. A bruiser he's a guy that goes out there and tries to knock you out the his uh the tko victory over chad johnson was beautiful with that ground and pound but i feel like Rocky martinez if he's in the similar situation he'll find a way to survive those and then get back to his feet and then you're going to see parisian really start to suck wind so there's a lot of question marks in terms of uh you know what kind of Parisian we're going to be getting especially after his loss last time around to parker porter the weight that he lost and again it's funny because porter and and rookie martinez almost have similar um similar physiques and similar height and similar reach and all that type of stuff but i think that Rocky martinez shows a little bit better durability and i think that uh if he can push and break josh parisian uh, again stay on the front foot keep uh uh parisian moving backwards keep parisians back against the cage i think uh the clinch position is somewhere that rookie martinez could have a lot of success i like Roki here i actually like Roki by decision as well another spot that i'm actually eyeing very closely i know it's a little bit chalky especially for heavyweights but the over one and a half is currently sitting around minus 185 and that's a spot that i very much like in this spot you know i i think again both guys are quite durable Roki martinez not a crazy heavy puncher he does have some solid power in his hands but uh, Josh Parisian has a decent chin of his own. So I could definitely see this being a clinch fest for, for the little first little bit. I could also see Parisian being very calculated in his approach in terms of not blowing his wad like he did it last time against Parker Porter. And this fight you know, could be a clinch fest for certain uh, aspects of this fight and, and could be really slowed down and there could be grappling exchanges. There could be a lot that goes out there in terms of making this fight go over that seven and a half minute mark. And I think there's a reason it's at minus 185 both guys durable uh show you know uh uh, tendencies to kind of struggle to take their opponents out more so on the martinez side than the the parisian side but parisian is going up against a guy that's very very hard to put away like i said so my favorite play in this fight is the over one and a half again i know it's a little bit chalky but i do like the underdog here i do think that Rocky martinez can break parisian similar to how parker porter did and then take home a decision victory so ultimately I'll be picking Rocky Martinez and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision. Chaos Williams versus Matthew Semmelsberger. We got minus 150 on Chaos and plus 130 on Semmelsberger. And this is a fight that I'm intrigued by to see what Chaos Williams can bring to the table as I'm still not fully sold on the guy. Last time we saw him, he went out there and lost a decision to Michel, or sorry, I should say Michelle uh, Pereira, where he was able un, unable to get his big striking game going as Pereira did a really good job in terms of staying on the outside picking him uh, or sticking and moving i should say uh and landing some good takedowns at opportune moments to really sway the judges in his favor uh again i pretty much thought that pereira was doing really good for the majority of that fight fighting the way that you should especially against a heavy puncher like chaos williams who packs a lot of power in his punches now my question marks about chaos williams are what it looks like for him after that first round now he has uh, you know a handful of wins by decision but i truly think that his opponents in those fights made some crucial mistakes that i don't think that you'll see fighters at this level make and i do think that will cause chaos williams some confusion and some concern uh going into these fights um he has a second round finish earlier on in his career i think it was a his second ever fight where he fought a two and five fighter so i'm kind of writing that off but if he's if if samusberger is able to get out of that first round i feel like he would have made chaos williams work enough that that power will start to subside and it has no sustainability after that first round maybe in the first minute or so of that second round but once samusberger gets his game going which i think is going to be similar to Pereira in terms of sticking and moving staying on the outside mixing in takedowns when he can take take advantage of those opportunities that present themselves and I think he can win a clean sweep in terms of just being very disciplined and and solid with his approach here against a heavy puncher in Chaos Williams. I still feel like Chaos Williams has some technical flaws in his striking abilities as he's been able to get away with his knockout power earlier on in his career. The most technical strike I think I've ever seen him throw was when I had big money against him uh, when I took Zak al-Hassan but outside of that he still throws wide winging hooks. It takes a lot of uh, energy for him to expo, uh, expand on that. And I think he telegraphs his big shots a lot, which I think Matthew Summersberger will be able to see coming here. I think Samuelsberger has a great kicking game as obviously I think that will allow him to maintain his distance here and kind of keep uh, Chaos Williams on the outside and he does have some crash four good combinations that he's able to light some guys up with three four five punch combinations that kind of uh, send his opponents into a confusion state and then he gets out of the way but he's gonna have to be worried about the counters that's coming back his way from Chaos Williams here as I said one punch knockout power that cannot be something that's overlooked. I don't think that Chaos Williams will sniff top 15, to be honest. To have a, you know, a, in my opinion, a one-dimensional approach, kind of focusing on your knockout power to get the wins, it's only going to take you so far. Does Semmelsberger fall into that, that category of guys that he can go out there and knock out? Absolutely. Samuelsberger only 10 fights into his MMA career, 8-2, and two. he has been stopped via punches earlier on in his career, but he's been really able to put together a solid win streak over his last several fights that have truly made him look to be a guy that could have some solid potential. I think that uh, originally actually he did come from a wrestling background but has been striking more often and not in his fights but I do expect to see a very disciplined approach from him here and I'd be surprised if we don't see at least two or three takedown attempts from him to try to get Chaos Williams down and to even get Chaos Williams thinking about you know what's going to be coming at my way is it going to be a combination is it going to be a kick is going to be takedowns level changes are going to be very crucial and feints as well are going to be very crucial for uh, Summersberger to get his game going. He's gonna to have to keep chaos Williams on his back foot and keep him thinking about what's coming at his way, rather than just sitting and waiting on the outside for chaos Williams to explode and then eventually land one of those big shots. Now, if you just look at the call to minus five for Summersberger, it looks kind of bad in terms of the amount of times that call to minus was able to land on him. But the difference between call to minus and chaos Williams, beside their power, is that. You know Carlton doesn't really put much behind his shots. his His shots really go from his chin right down the middle to his opponent. So it's a little bit harder to telegraph than what Chaos Williams does at times, especially with his big heavy strikes and his you know his power shots. Unless it's one of those knockout blows that he landed out on Al-Hassan, more often than not you see Chaos Williams really winging his shots and I feel like Samuelsberger should be able to see those coming or at least duck down and try to initiate a clinch position and take the brunt of those shots off uh, or at least the power of those shots off those punches. Ultimately, I am going to lean with Samuelsberger here. I think as long as he stays conscious, this is a fight for him to go out there and outpoint Chaos Williams. And I'm going to be taking Matthew Samuelsberger to win this fight via decision, which I think even on the prop side is is not too bad. Let me just pull it up for you guys real quick so I can give you guys a legitimate line here. So the the over is set at one and a half. Over one and a half is minus one fifty. I think there's some decent value there. Um, And then samuel's to win by decision is at plus 320 i think there's some solid value there too so ultimately i'm going to be going with samuel's and i'll take him to win this fight via decision verna jandiroba versus kanako murata we got minus 130 on jandiroba or jandiroba and plus 110 on kanako murata the line that i'm most intrigued by here though is the over two and a half which currently sits around minus 200 at most places now it's not often that you see women's MMA uh, overs being anything better than minus three hundred, and I think the reason that the line is around that minus two hundred in this spot is um, if you look at these women's records, more often than not they're going out there and getting finishes, but when they're fighting other competitive fighters, that's when you see it start to go to a decision, right? Uh, Jandy Ho- Roba going out there tapping out Felice Herrig and and uh, you know having success the way that she does. It, the skill discrepancy is just so wide in those fights, just with Murata as well. When she's going out there and uh, getting finishes, it's because the skill discrepancy is so wide. But when they start to fight fighters roughly around their level, especially in the grappling realms, you see them kind of cancel each other out and kind of have long, drawn out fights, uh, just as we saw with Jandaroba and Carlos Sparza, Jandaroba and uh, Mackenzie Dern, uh, even Murata. Like, I know Ronda Marcos is a, a giant step down from what she's going to be seeing against Jandaroba, but still, some. Somebody competent enough to stick out of submissions and make it a, a fight that's going to mainly take place, uh, you know, grappling and, and striking situations. But again, I, I think that this is a very close fight in terms of skill set, which is why the line is as close as it is. You got BJJ practitioner Verna Roba, much more experienced than Murata as well, going up against freestyle Olympic wrestler Kanako Murata who's having a lot of success of her own, the only ever loss that she's taken in her career was, I believe it was her fourth or fifth ever fight ever, which was over, I wanna confirm the date, but I feel like it was about five years ago, where she fought UFC veteran uh, Rin Yeah, that was close to five years ago where she got submitted by Rin Nakai in the third round by 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 uh, Rear Naked Choke. That was a fight where she was she still seemed quite green, right? She didn't really strike much. Uh, Rin Nakai was very much ready to go in terms of a uh, game plan that was going to go out there and stifle the grapple-heavy approach from Murata. Uh, she had a very low stance. She was landing some good strikes on top. And whenever Murata shot in for a takedown, it seemed like she was doing it out of desperation. And uh, there was two times where um, Rindikai was able to secure the back and then eventually uh, find that submission in that third round. Uh, But I feel like Murata has definitely gotten much better since then. Again, it's close to five years since that fight. And since then, she's been able to accumulate another eight straight victories for herself, especially in her last fight against uh, Randa Marcos, which was her UFC debut, where she came in as a pretty decent favorite. This is a fight that I feel like will it, it could be anywhere now that i'm thinking about it right like there's there's so many instances where we see two grapplers solid grapplers go out there and it turns into a striking contest but this is a fight where i feel like they could both find success even if this fight stays on the feet but i highly doubt both of them have crazy knockout power that's going to make this fight be in jeopardy of a club and sub situation or a knockout situation i think if there if there is a finish that comes in this fight it's probably going to be Janderoba by submission but I, I still feel that she's going to struggle with the strength that's going to be coming from the Murata side. There's often times that you see the the, grappler versus, or sorry, the wrestler versus jiu-jitsu player and the stronger wrestler normally is able to stay out of the submission attempts of the opponent on the ground. And then obviously the jiu-jitsu acumen of the fighter on their back uh, keeps them out of getting submitted or getting into compromising situations. The the thing here from Murata is she's taken a huge step up in competition. Now Jandaroba, very skilled fighter, 16-2 compared to the 12 and one Kanaka Murata. Uh Jandaroba, if I'm not mistaken, was also the Invicted Champion before coming over to the UFC. And I still feel like she has a very high ceiling in this in this division in the UFC. But this is a fight that I see them completely canceling each other out. But ultimately, it's going to be Marata that I feel like, um, you know, who is showing improvements on a fight-to-fight basis. Now she is twenty-seven years old. She's only getting better as her career goes on. Whereas Jandaroba seems like a little bit more uh, of a fighter that 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 is going to be like what we've seen from her over our last two or three fights is what we're going to see from her moving forward. I don't see her getting any better or anything like that. Uh, the striking kind of even I feel like, I don't even know who you give the advantage to, but I feel like you are seeing improvements from Murata on a fight-to-fight basis, whereas Roba, it seems like her striking is serviceable enough to eventually get the fight to the ground where she wants to get it to and to get her jujitsu going. However, she's going to struggle to get Murata down here, right? Jandiroba historically has a decent wrestling game, but she's going up against a freestyle wrestler here in Murata who has tons and tons of experience in terms of uh, nullifying takedowns and, and keeping the fight vertical. Um, again, I see a ton of clinch situations, I see a ton of, uh, stalemate situations, Murata being strong from on top, um, you know, nullifying the jiu-jitsu game of Roba. and, uh, yeah, I, I think we see gender Jandar- or sorry, uh, Murata go out there and grind this fight out via decision. Very close fight, though. Again, Jaina Robo could potentially hit reversals here. She There are instances where you see Murata kind of have her hands down on the mat, which is a no-no, especially when you're going up against a high-level BJJ player. Uh, and there have been times where we see Murata get locked up in some arm bars, but she seems calm, cool, and collected in those situations in terms of getting her arm out of there and getting out of any serious trouble. She's gonna to have to very much mind her p's and q's here against Chandra Hoba as I do believe that this is the best BJJ specialist that she's fought at, you know, in her thirteen, fourteen fight career so uh if she can be sure that she's on top of that which i truly believe she is man like uh, you know going up uh taking gradual steps up in competition this is easily the best fighter that she's fought to this point uh you gotta believe that she's gonna go out there and have some solid success some, uh, sorry some solid success in terms of landing takedowns being heavy on top and nullifying the jiu-jitsu game of jandaroba yeah again the spot that i like the most over two and a half minus 200 ish these fighters are going to cancel each other out there's going to be a lot of grappling sequences a lot of situations like that but i don't think that we'll see a finish from either person and if you do go heavy on that over two and a half i think the best hedge situation is taking january robot to win by submission which i think is between plus 250 and plus 300 last time i checked but that's uh you know if you want to save yourself in case uh you know in case of a finish like i said it's more than likely going to be Johnny but by submission but Ultimately, I will be going with Murata by decision. I think she'll uh, nullify the takedowns of Jaina which will probably be coming. I think this could turn into a slop fest in terms of a striking fight. And then if it does get into the grappling situations, I think it will be Murata on top. And her uh, heavy pressure on top, her ability to pass at least into half guard to stay out of big trouble, will allow her to stay out of the submission game of Jaina But again, very close fight. I'm going with over two and a half, and I'm going to go with uh, Kanaka Murata to win this fight via decision. Alexa Camorra versus Nikolai Neg- oh, sorry Negomarianu. It's going to take me a little bit of a while to, uh, to get that name down. Negomarianu. Uh, Negomarianu is coming in as a plus-two den dog, as, especially after a long layoff now, too, after he had lost to uh, Saperbeg Safarov. I believe that was back at the beginning of 2019. And the return on Alexa Camorra is at minus 250, who's also coming off a decision loss last time around to William Knight. Now, on the Alexa Camora side... still kind of raw, 25 years old, training out a strong style. Obviously, that's the gym that Stipe Miocic calls home. Uh, There's a lot of hype on Kamor to go out there and, you know, come close to what Miocic has been bringing to the table. But I think that's a little bit too lofty of goals at this point in time let's let this guy just flesh out a little bit he's only one in one in the ufc very underwhelming performance against william knight last time around but i do think that he has all the chops and abilities to go out there and beat a guy like Nega marianu who has pretty much been fed tomato cans his entire career up until coming to the ufc you guys notice most of nick's uh victories uh, or actually fights have come for a promotion called rxf which is actually the local romanian promotion where a lot of guys just get set up to win and then eventually make it to the big stage whether it's the ufc one Bellator, whatever it may be but rxf it was definitely a very pro Negamarianu, trust me especially with the level of competition that he was fighting and some of the records that you were seeing there as well he was able to go out there and starch most of his opponents without much resistance which is why he looked like such a solid fighter but then once you get that Sapperbag safarov fight under your belt you truly see that he's not you know what he was built up to be when coming to the ufc i feel like camor has him pretty much covered everywhere here and the only way that nega ends up winning this fight is if he ends up knocking out camor i don't think that's going to happen though i think that a lot of people are writing off camor because of his last loss to william knight which obviously doesn't that look doesn't look that good now considering what da Jung was able to do to william knight but you just can't bl- or focus on a fighter's one of his last losses so you got to look at that whole body of work and if you're putting up the body of work from Kumura against what nega mariano has uh before coming into the ufc i side with Kumura very heavily and i completely understand why he's the minus 250 favorite going into this fight I don't think that this is a fight that you really need to overthink. I think that this is a fight where you'll see Kamour stay out of the way of the big shots that are coming his way from Nick and then he's going to be able to get his grappling game going or at least be able to outpoint him from the outside which should ultimately allow him to knock that decision victory. I think Negomariano is very durable. I think he'll be able to take everything that Kamour brings to the table here and I do think that Kamour will be cognizant enough in terms of staying away from the big power shots that are going to be coming his way. So I like Kamour here. I like him to win by decision. I think he makes it look relatively easily as well. And uh, Nigga Mariano, in my opinion, only really has a puncher's chance to win this fight, which is why he's the biggest underdog on this card. So ultimately, I'm going with Alexa Kamour and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision diego lima versus matt brown we got minus 165 on diego lima and plus 145 on the immortal matt brown let's start off on the matt brown side of things who's two and three in his last five fights two of his most recent fights coming by knockout to miguel baeza and then he loses a decision to carlos condit after that uh 40 years old Matt Brown still fighting somehow he retired and ended up coming back and it just hasn't looked that great for him I think he when he retired and came back uh it was right after the Donald Cerrone fight so he kicks it off with two wins where he was a minus 350 favorite over Diego Sanchez and Ben Saunders. two quick and not quick but like solid knockouts in those fights against very chinny fighters and then once he starts fighting solid competition he starts to come up short Now Diego Lima, I'm still trying to figure out whether he's uh, the type of guy that beat Matt Brown, but I can definitely say that he's untrustworthy at this point in time, as especially with his last performance against Bilal Muhammad, where he seemed to have a complete gas tank dump uh, after that second round or midway through that second round. And that's just not a good look. Now that's very unlike him though, right? Like we've seen in his three-fight winning streak prior to that Bilal Muhammad fight, he was able to go out there and have decision victories over guys with solid gas tanks in Court McGee and Luke Jamal. So I'll either tee tee it up to his extended layoff after that Luke Jumao fight, which is why he didn't look as good in the Blah Mohamed fight. But we also have to give some credit to Blah Mohamed with his suffocating style that he's able to implement on most of his opponents. Now Diego Lima, great calf kicker, it worked out pretty well for him in the Blah Mohamed fight. But I do think that he's going to struggle here to effectively implement it against Matt Brown. Uh, Matt Brown still has heavy power in his hands. He's still decently durable. I don't know if Diego Lima is that type of knockout power that will put Matt Brown out, but it could definitely put Matt Brown into some trouble. I think it's going to have to come down to his calf kicks and his ability to implement them effectively so that he can slow down Matt Brown, take the power off of his shots, and then let his own hands go so that he could potentially find that knockout blow. Uh, very close fight. I don't ag- I-, I think the odds are relatively accurate but still too much juice for me to be paying on a guy like Diego Lima but this should be a good fight for him to get back on track I'm ultimately going to take him to win this fight via decision but it's a it's a it's a closer fight than the odds indicate in my opinion I don't think that Diego Lima is this crazy good fighter and I used to fade him before his three-fight winning streak uh, and it worked out pretty well for me. But uh, Matt Brown could definitely bring a different type of uh, angle into this fight that Diego Lima has yet to deal with in the past. And again, that that pressure, power-heavy style of Matt Brown could definitely break a guy like Diego Lima, especially if he's having Diego Lima on his back foot for the majority of the fight, like Bilal Mohamed. And that definitely does... Uh, Playing into a guy's cardio depleting quicker and quicker if he's forced to back up for the majority of the fight, but ultimately we'll be going with Diego Lima here. Um, Again, I I just don't have the the utmost confidence and trust in him to go out there and get the job done, which is why I'll be keeping him out of most of my plays. But I am going to take him to win this fight, and I think he's actually going to win this fight via decision. But tough, tough fight. Be very careful if you're going to be wagering on this fight. But I will go with the Diego Lima side of things, and once again, by decision wellington Terman versus bruno silva we got minus 135 on the debuting bruno silva and plus 115 on wellington Terman. let start off on the Terman side of things who's had three fights in the ufc now with a one and two record but most surprisingly last time around he got knocked out by andrew sanchez a spot that not a lot of people saw coming especially considering that andrew sanchez historically is not a heavy puncher now one caveat i'll throw out there about andrew sanchez is that not a lot of people expect him to get the knockout but i truly believe believe that he had the size frame and explosiveness to truly be a good knockout puncher especially if he started to put some emphasis into his striking rather than just going out there and shooting desperation takedown after desperation takedown and we definitely saw that in his termine fight which ultimately resulted in him getting the knockout but it's hard to predict that before the fact but good to see andrew sanchez slowly trying to round out his game and not just be a desperation takedown artist uh, so poor performance from uh, Wellington Termin there, but we got to cut the guy a little bit of slack considering it's only been three fights in the UFC and he's only 24 years old, so he still has a lot of time to grow and truly flesh out to be one of the better fighters in this 185 uh, pound division. Now he's going up against Bruno Savo who hasn't even fought in the UFC yet, yet had already popped for a Usada violation and uh, has been on the shelf for a little bit now, but he has a lot of steam coming into the UFC, especially springing excuse me, huge upsets in his last two fights as a plus 490 and a plus 450 underdog to Alexander Slomenko and uh, Artem Frolov, uh, respectively. Those are two fights that they did not expect him to go out there and win at M1 Global. And that's exactly what he did. And it was all due to his heavy power that he was able to put on these opponents and really hurt them in that way. Now, this is a quintessential grappler versus striker matchup where I actually favor the grappler here in Wellington Terming and, and his ability to get this fight to the ground. Who knows what kind of Bruno Silva we're truly going to get now that he's off of whatever sauce he was on when he was fighting on the regional scene. Uh, Bruno Silva did compete on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil where he lost to Vitor Miranda, I believe, in his first fight and then, was able to win, then went on to the regional scene put together a solid record and eventually came back to the UFC, or not came back to the UFC, but is now making his UFC debut. His takedown defense is very sketchy though. And I think that's where Wellington Terman will truly thrive in terms of dragging this fight to the ground and threatening him with submissions or at least staying on top and getting that control time that he needs to get that judge's decision. I'm torn between the submission prop and the decision prop. I'm ultimately going to be going with the decision prop here with Terman, as I do think that his grappling and smothering ability on top will be too much for Bruno Silva to handle. Again, it's very tough for me to go out there and back a guy that's coming off an extended layoff. Not to mention that layoff being because of USADA making his UFC debut and the fact that he's a favorite at minus 135. I did see that bet online dropped um, Wellington tournament as a minus 170 favorite as the opener and that line got steamed up quickly as he ended up becoming a plus 130ish underdog as soon as the public was done with that uh, the, those low limit openers. I still don't understand why they're so heavy on Bruno Silva outside of the fact that he has those two big wins in his last fights, in his last two fights. But there's just too many question marks for me, and the big gap that, uh, or the gaping hole of Bruno Silva uh, and his takedown defense, that's too much for me to overlook. And more often than not, if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that I tend to lean with the grappler, especially in these types of situations. So I'm going to be going with Bruno, or sorry, with Wellington Turman, but don't be surprised if you see me take a little bit of a shot on that Wellington Turman submission. Prop as I do think it has some value, but ultimately I think it's going to be Wellington determine grinding this fight out over fifteen minutes and getting his hand raised via decision. Sungwoo Choi versus Julian Arosa. We got minus one forty-five on Choi and plus one twenty-five on Julian Arosa, who is sprung together three straight victories for himself after originally getting cut from the ufc after getting knocked out by julio arce uh julian rosa did pick up a win on the regional scene by submission and quickly found himself back in the ufc i believe he took the fight on uh, against sean woodson on short notice coming in as a plus 400 underdog and springing the upside with a beautiful dart stroke finish uh, i believe in the second or third round against woodson then he goes out there and quickly starts his nate Landwehr in the first round coming in as a plus 130 underdog and now he finds himself as an underdog once again to the highly skilled Sung Choi who's finding himself a little bit more comfortable in the UFC. What we normally get from Julian Arosa is a wildy veteran with a good striking style. A little bit wild in those striking exchanges. It seems more often than not that he whips his shots rather than he actually tries to do it technically. You see him really put his whole body into it. His weird lanky frame and his hands down type of style really allowed to uh, put more velocity behind his punches but it's technically not the right way to do it because he does overextend on his strikes quite often you don't want to be doing that against a technical kickboxer muay thai specialist like mr sungwoo Choi. and i truly think that the straighter crisper and tighter shots are going to be the ultimate um, uh, reason as to why he ends up winning this fight this fight could potentially go under two and a half as well i'm seeing a lot of love out there for that plus money prop there but i think ultimately it's going to be Choi outlanding landing uh, rosa you know better strikes more impactful strikes arosa has been finished in the past but i think his chin should hold up for him here against uh sungu choi who's going to have to defend takedowns because i'm expecting julian arosa at a certain point in this fight to have to go for takedowns but we've seen choi's takedown defense improve on a fight-to-fight basis and i do think it will come through for him here as arosa isn't primarily a grappler or sorry a wrestler nor somebody that has amazing rest or takedown technique um i expect this fight to start off pretty wild uh julian rosa normally comes out like a banshee at the beginning of the fights and then he slowly starts to settle into the fight which is normally when his opponents start to take over and that's exactly what i'm expecting with troy here too this might actually be a good live betting opportunity as rosa could have some success in that first round but as the longer that this fight goes i expect troy to get more success and if you can get him at plus money going into that second round i think you're you know you're doing pretty well for yourself in terms of getting a good line on Choi who in my opinion is the better striker and that's where I expect this fight to play out for the majority of the 15 minutes again there is a finish possibility on both sides here but I do think actually it's going to be Choi that wins this fight by decision by just staying more calm cool collected and disciplined and just waiting to counter Arosa at the appropriate times especially after Arosa throws his combinations and he just overextends just as we've known to see him do in the past so good win for Arosa over his last three fights, but I think he's running into a really stiff test here against Sungwoo Choi, who should go out there and pretty much touch him up in uh, the striking realm here, being the much more technical and uh, savvy fighter, especially in those striking exchanges. So I'm going to be going with Sungwoo Choi, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight via decision. Although I'm not ruling out a potential knockout, as he could catch Arosa as he's overextending on a punch. So uh, I'll go Sungwoo Choi by decision. Marlon Vera versus Davy Grant. We got minus 200 on Marlon Vera and plus 170 on Davy Grant. Now, this is a rematch of a fight that took place in February of 2016, back when uh, Davy Grant was able to pull off a decision victory over Marlon Chito Vera that night. A lot of that victory had to do with Davy Grant landing takedowns and having good success from the top position in terms of controlling Marlon Vera as well as going out there and landing some solid damage from on top. Now, both guys have obviously made some progress. Progress in that amount of time right that fight was close to five just over five years ago if anything uh marlon vera has had has had about 12 to 13 fights in that span of time whereas david grant has been quite as um a little bit more conservative is in in his approach in terms of being active inside the cage. He's actually had only, f- I believe, five fights since that Marlon Vera fight. And uh, again, he, he's had some decent uh, success. He's gone three and two in his last five uh, fights, actually on a three-fight winning streak right now. And uh, two of those, uh, he was actually the underdog, plus 130 against Gregory Popov. He was the, uh, you know, uh, they were at pick odds for the Martin Day fight. And then for the uh, Jonathan Martinez fight, who was scorching at the time, coming off a big win over Thomas Almeida, we had David Grant as a plus two fifty favorite, or a plus two fifty underdog. Sorry. And once again, he gets continued uh, He continuously gets disrespected, and myself included. I was one of those guys that was downplaying Davy Grant's game a lot. But he has come a long way, and he's definitely showing those improvements inside the cage, especially over his last three fights. Now, uh, again, like I said, plus two fifty underdog two day um to Jonathan Ra- Martinez last time around, and it was a very competitive fight. The first round, Jonathan Martinez had some solid success, and I believe he even hurt Davy Grant at the near the ending of that uh, first round. And then after that, David Grant came back with the fire of his own, and he was able to put the pace and pressure on Jonathan Martinez, which ultimately led up to the beautiful finish that he was able to uncork. I believe it was a, it was the same combination that he actually ended up knocking out Martin Day with in the fight before, and it just goes to show how much power David Grant actually has in his hands. Uh, again, now he's a plus 170 underdog going into a fight where he's already beaten this fighter five years ago, and that, I, in my opinion, that has to do with marlon vera you know obviously fighting jose aldo last time around having a win over sean o'malley um you know the very close fight against Yudong Song probably could have gone his way too but he has been making the progressions and, and he's been the one remaining more active and for sure you know a lot of people who are newer to the sport probably don't even realize that David Grant actually went out there and beat Marlon Vera uh six fights ago uh again five years ago as well uh, both guys making improvements but I do ultimately have to side with the underdog here I think there's a ton of value which is why we're seeing the lines start to close as fight week uh progresses and it's due to both guys pretty much having the same skills that i think that david grant will be able to exploit for marlon chito vera uh david grant throws a lot of heavy strikes uh you know a couple combinations nothing crazy has a good uh sidekick as well where he's able to maintain his distance and marlon vera has some solid striking of his own but it ultimately comes down to the grappling which i think is ultimately going to be the downfall of marlon vera now marlon vera as we saw in his last fight the entirety of round three he had his back taken by uh joe Jose Aldo, And that's not a, uh, an aspect of Jose Aldo's game that we're used to seeing, right? You see Jose Aldo go out there, get his striking going, get his Muay Thai going, and that's usually how he ends up winning fights with beautiful body shots as well but he knew he needed that third round he was able to secure that back position on Marlon Vera and then just keep it for the majority of that round again very skeptical and that just goes to show that Marlon Vera still has some issues to go out there and clean up if I'm not mistaken Marlon Vera has about three submission finishes since uh, his last fight with David Grant and that will probably be his best way to win this fight if he's actually able to do something off of his back as David Grant's three losses or at l- least his his latest three losses have all come via submission uh, Damian Stasiak Manny Bermudez were the last two to submit him and I actually would place Marlon Vera uh, right in between those I'd say Manny Bermudez has a much better guard game uh, and then Marlon Vera probably slides into number two and then Damian Stasiak in number three and if you guys remember that Stasiak finish came in third in the third round after a pretty grueling fight for both guys So I I do lean with David Grant here. I think he's the value side. We've seen their fight already play out before. And it seems like Marlon Vera still has those deficiencies in terms of his grappling, which I ultimately think will be his downfall in this fight, especially with the guy in in David Grant who has serviceable striking. He might be low on the numbers in terms of the volume, but I think that ultimately with his ability to rely on his grappling, his strong takedowns, his ability to mix in his striking and his takedowns is going to cause Marlon Vera a lot of troubles in this fight again marlon could be making improvements he's 28 years old he's still finding his groove Davy grant 35 but he's not your normal 35er considering how inactive he remains inside the cage right like uh in terms of being active um active with actually going out there and having fights again it was only it was six fights ago that he fought marlon vera five years ago so he doesn't stay uh active that much inside the cage but whenever he goes in there and competes he gives it at all and it and it seems to work out for him, especially over his last few fights. If I'm not mistaken, Bisping was talking about how David Grant owned a, uh, a successful restaurant or something. And that's why he's not so keen on going out there and fighting as often as he does because he's, you know, he's doing it for the love of it. He's not doing it to make the money anymore. It's more sort of just go out there and compete and showcase his skills, especially after he opened up his own gym uh, over there, I believe, in England as well. So, uh, yeah, ultimately, stylistically speaking, I'm going to be going with the Davy Grant side of things. Again, a heavier striker. uh, He might be down on the volume, but again, I think that he can rely on his clinch game and his takedowns to control Marlon Vera. And as long as Vera doesn't throw up any type of crazy submission off of his back, I think Davy Grant will be safe in terms of, uh, you know, bringing that top, crushing top pressure that has allowed him to you know win that first fight against marlon vera and have some success in his fight with gregory popov uh even against martin day i think he had a little bit of success in that fight too with his grappling but i'm expecting him to have even more success here against marlon vera so i like that plus 170 tag on david grant i think this fight should be uh, closer to a pick so if you're able to snatch david grant at solid plus money i would heavily uh uh, i would heavily recommend that so i'm going to be going with david grant here and i think he grinds this fight out and wins this fight via decision alexey olenik olenik versus sergey spivak we got minus 230 on spivak coming in as the second biggest favorite on the card uh and the plus 190 return on old man Olinik. now a lot of people are scratching their heads as to why this fight has achieved that common event slot but the last several fights for Alexo Olynyk have actually been main event slots, so he's a little bit of a name, call him a little bit of a needle mover, especially on these, on these fight night cards, but I believe he deserved at least that co-main event slot. It would have been better to have, you know, maybe some budding stars, some promising prospects to at least showcase in that co-main event slot, but... Here we are with a sloppy heavyweight fight that could potentially go a full 15 minutes and it may not be what the UFC was expecting it to be when they match these guys up and especially put them in this co-main event slot. Now Alexei Olenek 2 and 3 in his last 5 fights, both of his last 2 fights, getting knocked out by Derek Lewis and Chris Daukus but this is a completely different opponent in Sergei Spivak and I don't believe that we'll see a quick knockout as we did in Olenek's last 2 fights. Now, Linux is durable, I'd say, to a certain extent. Uh, you know, um, the, the, the Fabricio Verdun fight, uh, fight and Maurice scream fights definitely showed us a lot. Even in the Derek Lewis fight, he had a lot of success early there. And if he had given up on that head and arm, uh, or I believe it was a scarf choke, he probably could have transitioned to a different type of submission and probably gotten the win that way. But his stubborn ass wanted to go out there and try to make a statement by scarf choking or scarf hole choking uh, Mr. Derek Lewis. The Chris Daukes fight didn't play out in his favor at all. Daukus, we obviously know, making massive improvements in his striking. His hand speed is... You know probably one of the best in the heavyweight division and unfortunately for olenic he was able to find that out that night by getting knocked out relatively quickly and sergey Spivek's approach is mostly you know i'm gonna grind you out i'm gonna take you down and i'm gonna smother you and probably tko you with ground and pound if i'm not able to get you out of there uh or sorry if i'm you know if if i am able to get you out of there his last two fights alone a decision victory over carlos felipe or he was just right not i want to i don't want to say ragdolling, but he definitely grinded him out over that 15 minute period and then the jared Venture. Fight, he was able to ground that fight over and over again, eventually finding that ground and pound finish. I believe in the second round. I'd be very surprised if he saw Spivak go out there and try to grapple Olinik right off the bat. That would be a huge no no for the 14 fight veteran compared to the what is that. 75 fight veteran Alexei Olinik. uh you know even though Olenek's up there in age he's 43 years old he has a 17 year advantage in terms of experience over Sergei Spivak jiu-jitsu is one of the last things to go just ask Damian Maia and some of these other older guys that are able to get away with just their jiu-jitsu and so I'd be surprised if Spivak goes out there and tries to go after his game plan which more often than not has been that ground and pound and that grinding approach and I think we're going to see him go out there stay behind a jab try to stay disciplined and stay on the outside on until Olenek starts to huff and puff, and then maybe start to get that grappling going where his size, strength, and his youth will truly come into play, and he might be able to take out Alexi for via ground and pound. The spot that actually intrigues me the most and I think there is a little bit of a chance for this fight to hit considering I expect to be, uh, see a disciplined approach from Sergei Spivak to stay away from the grapple heavy approach from Alexey Linick is Sergei Spivak to win this fight via decision. Last time I saw it was around that plus 600 plus 700 mark and I think it has some decent value here especially in a fight between a young up and comer who wants to stay very disciplined against a crafty veteran uh, a crafty veteran like Alexio Linick uh the over one and a half even at that plus 135 mark i think that's a decent spot as i see this being a disciplined approach from both guys which will push us over that seven and a half minute mark but the more that our linux starts to slow down the more worried i'll be about spivak actually hitting that decision prop because i do think he'll start to turn it up later in the fight and possibly try to put away a linux probably in that third round i believe the third round prop for spivak is plus 850 and i'll probably have a little bit of a sprinkle on that but uh, the early the earlier this fight is the more in favor it is for our Alexi Olenek in my opinion so if Spivak is smart I believe he'll try to keep this fight on the outside uh for the first maybe six or seven minutes of this fight and then maybe start to engage in the clinch and the takedowns and try to really wear on Olenek with his size and the strength uh, so once again I'm gonna go with Spivak probably by third round TKO I'm gonna go with third round TKO uh but I will definitely be having a little bit of that decision prop especially at that outrageous line that it's currently sitting at so I'm going Sergei Spivak and I'll go with third round TKO. Time for the main event. We got Dan Ige going up against the Korean Zombie. And this is a fight that, uh, in terms of odds, has pretty much been a, at a pick for the majority of this week up until this morning, where we're starting to get some action in on Dan Ige. And now he's up to about minus 125 at a couple of spots. But this is a very close fight. The line is very indicative of how this fight could play out. But in hindsight, it could end up looking like minus 300 one way or the other. But pre-flop, you got to believe that these guys are very evenly matched. And it's going to come down to. S- Small little things that will separate each other, or at least allow one guy to separate each other from the other to uh, go out there and pull off the victory themselves. So, let's start off on the Korean Zombie side, who's coming off of a loss to Brian Ortega in a very unpredictable fashion. Not a lot of people thought that Ortega was going to be able to put on the pressure and pace that he was able to in the striking room against Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie was a minus 200 favorite going into that fight, and a lot of people thought that Brian Ortega needed to drag the fight to the ground to have any success in that fight. but or take a one up there and showed off some new skill sets he was able to acquire during his time off since he had initially lost to Max Hallway. I believe that was back at UFC two thirty one. Could be off on that number actually. But uh yeah, not a good look from Korean Zombie, especially getting rocked and hurt the amount of times that he did against Ortega. It's going to show that it seems to be that Chan uh, Sung-yong is really starting to deteriorate in the quality of performances that he's able to showcase for us. I am a high believer that if he wasn't able to put take out Hanato uh, Moicano nice and early like he did, and if that fight was extended, it probably would have looked similar to what that uh, Brian Ortega look fight looked like, if not worse, as I do believe that Moicano is still the better overall fighter. His durability was just was not up to par that night frankie edgar same thing could be said if frankie edgar's durability was holding tough like it did in the pedro Munoz fight that could have been a much tougher fight for korean zombie but luckily for a zombie he was able to get uh frankie out of the frankie edgar out of there relatively easily and then last time we saw brian ortega obviously go to a five round decision and beat him that way Korean Zombie, good, underrated grappler. Obviously, we remember him for having one of the first ever twister submissions inside the UFC over Leonard Garcia and has a very crafty jujitsu in his own right. But he definitely does have some power in his hands, which has allowed him to get victories in the last three out of his five fights, knocking out Dennis Bermudez, Hanatsu Maikano, and then Frankie Edgar. The Yair Rodriguez fight was one that was very close for him to getting his hand raised by decision that night. Yair Rodriguez really pulls one out of his ass with that beautiful backwards elbow that dead deaded chan sung Jung and allowed yair rodriguez to get his hand raised that night i've heard numerous reports there's also that korean report i'm I'm missing is john kwan i believe his name is i'm probably butchering at this time so i apologize john but he did actually state that this could possibly be the last time we see korean zombie compete especially if he ends up going out there and and loses and that's not a great mentality to come into, especially up against an up-and-comer like Dan Ige who just uh, tasted his first uh, you know, um, sample of a main event slot against Calvin Cater two fights ago. And uh, Dan Ige always wants to go out there. There's a reason his nickname is 50K because he wants to go out there and cast those performance bonuses. And he's definitely been showing it in his last several um, fights. Not to mention that one round he was able to steal off of Calvin Cater, which in itself was a very impressive feat for him to accomplish. Last time, obviously, we saw him go out there and starch Gavin Tucker relatively quickly, and we didn't really get to see much how as to how that fight would play out. Now, in this fight against Chan Sung-yung, I expect Dan Ige to be the faster one. He blitzes forward pretty quickly. He closes distance pretty quickly, too, and I feel like he's going to be able to find the chin of Chan Sung-yung over and over again, landing the more impactful shots, and then eventually finding that kill shot probably in the third or fourth round. This fight could play out very, very closely though. Chan Sung could probably outbox him, outwork him on the feet if he truly does that, but I think that EA's ability to close the distance and land the big shots that he does and his aggressiveness will play into his favor, which should allow him to find that knockout blow over Korean Zombie. Now, I know the over-under is set at 4.5 and and I'm still boggling my brain in terms of finding which side is the best side and ultimately, I'm gonna be predicting Dan Ige to win this fight by knockout in the third round, but I just have no real conviction behind that prediction I do think that Dan Ige is the better fighter at this point in time I think that if Chansung Jung is you know caught talking about retirement and hanging it up it's not a good place to be in especially against a young uh, hungry guy like Dan Ige Ige definitely wants to make up for that loss that he had to Calvin Cater two fights ago and this would be a great way to do it, especially in a main event slot and then to do it with bonus points and 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 style points by knocking out Korean Zombie would only help his career that much more So I do like Dan Ige. I think he gets the knockout here, but it's a very close fight. Zombie could make it very difficult, especially if that inner zombie of Jansen Young truly comes out and he's able to eat the big shots of Dan Ige. It might not look good in the judge's eyes when Ige is letting the bigger, more impactful shots, but Zombie might be able to walk through some of them and get his own game going. Ige is very durable, so I'd be very surprised if Jansen Young actually knocks him out, but I do think that if there is a finish, it's probably going to come from the Dan Ige side. So ultimately, I am going to pick Dan Ige. I'm going to pick him to win this fight by decision, but it's a very damn close fight. So if the Korean zombie ends up getting his hand raised this week, and I wouldn't be that surprised. My money is going to be staying off of this fight. If anything, I'll be putting a little bit of money on Dan Ige by KO, which I think is around plus 300 or plus 400. Outside of that, I'm staying the fuck away from this fight. But you guys want a prediction from my ass and I'm going to be giving you guys Dan Ige to win this fight by third round TKO. And those are my breakdowns. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. If you want to support your boy even more to help me continue doing this on a full time basis, check out the Patreon. Uh, link is in the description below. Five bucks a month. You guys get a ton of great perks. Uh, not to mention that Discord community is value in itself. So shout out to everybody that's on the Discord and remaining active in there to make it a big giant family that you guys can rely to check on and whether it's picks for the ufc picks for pfl picks for any other sport uh my guys got you guys covered in there so once again that's in the discord which is connected to the patreon five bucks a month make sure you guys check that out and lastly cool bet promo code mma lotn2 that's the number two uh they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks trust me you're going to want to check it out and uh yeah that's pretty much it We still have Propping You Up coming up this week. We still have the Ultimate Wayne Show 9 p.m. Eastern on Friday night coming up. And then my Fight Day live chat 1 p.m. Eastern, that's coming up. So i got a ton of content still coming for you guys throughout the week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hit that like. Hit that subscribe. Last thing I'll say, if you are listening to this on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever the fuck it's called now, Drop me a review. Drop me a a written review. Give me five stars, whatever the fuck. Give me three stars. Give me four stars. Whatever you think I deserve. uh, It definitely helps me out in terms of my reach and proving my validity to people uh, when I do go out there and show them these ratings on Spotify, YouTube, whatever the fuck, but especially on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys are listening, the audio version on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a review and maybe in the future, one of the future episodes, I'll start reading some of these uh, reviews on the show so that you guys can pat yourselves on the back a little bit. All right, that's it on my end. Uh, Good luck on your best this weekend and I'll see you guys throughout the week for some more UFC Vegas 29 content.